you know, sometimes you just need a little support or a buddy, right? I didn't have a buddy. I went through this alone for four years and no one understood me. And it was really lonely. Lo- you know, loneliness is like the, is the, is the worst feeling in the world. Welcome to the HGW Podcast. We're your hosts, Zoe Sakutis and Erica Huss, founders of Blueprint Cleanse, the iconic juice brand that sparked a multi-billion dollar category. We bootstrapped, scaled, and sold, and now we're moving on. We put down the juicer and picked up the mic to start a conversation. We'll bring you behind-the-scenes information on leading brands and emerging ideas in this rapidly evolving world of wellness. Every Wednesday, we chat with experts or entrepreneurs who help us cut through the noise and bring you information you can actually use. No shaming, no guilt, just the cold-pressed truth about real ways you can feel better, mentally, physically, and emotionally. And bonus, we even share our often humiliating personal experiences, all in the name of your wellness journey. Clinical studies have shown that writing five-star reviews improves mood and circulation. So if you like what you hear, give us some love and share with a friend. Often irreverent and occasionally intuitive, consider us your navigators on the bumpy highway to well. Erica, guess what? What's that now? You are not alone. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. We're going straight into it. I'm sorry. Are we not allowed to sing Michael? We are allowed to sing Michael. We're going to just say, you know, at some point you got to divide, you got to separate a little bit. The art from the artist. The music lives on. Yeah. The music lives on. Why are you singing that song, Zoe? Because we are not alone. (laughs) We are not alone, Erica. That's right. And a genius company is reminding us of that um, in sickness and in health. WANA. W-A-N-A. W-A-N-A is the acronym. We are not alone. We are not alone, which is a social platform made by and for people with chronic illness, um, specifically invisible chronic illness. Right. Like th- those, those tricky diseases that we don't actually see that aren't visible. And so this is a great platform for people to come together and they seek, you know, seeking support, friendship, advice from others in the disability community. I don't yeah. know, it's sort of beyond disability, but... Um, well, I think it's... So we, we interviewed Evan Golub, who's the founder and has an absolutely incredible story of his own, which is what led him to create this platform. Um, and it really is about... It's not just about... I mean, it's, it's about resource sharing and content, but it really is about connecting people who are going through whatever it is that they're dealing with, um, which you know, when you're dealing with a health crisis and like he learned um, when you're being told time and again that, you know, maybe there's nothing wrong with you, even though you feel like there is something wrong, it can feel very isolating. It feels very alone. And especially when you're trying to actually heal your body of something, I think feeling sad and alone is probably the worst thing that yeah. could like add insult to to whatever it is that you're, you know, the injury is. And I will just say he's also... Um... He is the co-founder, actually. So he does have a, a partner who he met. It's a great story know, how he met his, um, his co-founder, Nicole, who <clears throat> they met on Hinge.com. Did not turn out to be boyfriend-girlfriend, but did turn but out to be... a beautiful business was born. Amazing business partners. And they shared something else, uh, which was a similar chronic illness that you will learn all about. Yeah. So we will encourage people to check it out um, at joinwana.com. Um, yes. And in the meantime, enjoy this conversation with Evan Golub. Welcome to Evan Golub. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, you are the founder of WANA. Which stands for We Are Not Alone. We Are Not Alone, uh, which is a really interesting platform that I'm very excited for you to share with everybody. Um, tell us uh, your elevator pitch, uh, your quick one-two sentence blurb on Wana, and then we're going to get into... Wait, are we going to have to like add in some Michael Jackson, We Are Not Alone in the background? <laughs> you are not alone. Or, that could be our new theme song. Yeah, that should be your theme song. I don't know if we want MJ... Back in the mix. Is You're it okay? Right. How, what have we decided culturally? Are we still listening? <sighs> I, I'm still listening, but I'm not. I'm not like. I'm not. I'm not defending him. I'm just saying, like, he created something that is undeniably yeah. good quality content. Yeah, I'm listening. I'm still oh, listening. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. We'll think about it. Go on. <laughs> so, Wana is a digital community that connects people with various chronic and invisible conditions, and that stemmed from a six-year battle, my own six-year battle with Lyme disease. 
And I was misdiagnosed for about four years across 30 practitioners. Uh, and we can get into this later, but it really, uh, it was isolating and, and uh, very lonely going through this process. And so I wanted to build a platform that was creating community and connection for people going through similar situations. Is that, that has to be one of the most like highly misdiagnosed yeah, um, diseases, sure. right? So Lyme has over 100 co-infections. So the actual bacteria itself is called Borrelia burgdorferi, but then there's over 100 co-infections. So there's Babesia, Ehrlichia, Mycoplasma, Rickettsia. They all cause different symptoms. And so depending on which co-infections you have, you have different symptoms um, thereby making it very, very confusing and very difficult to diagnose. Uh, and yeah, well, just, actually, you... the, the disease should be relabeled. And a lot of the experts are saying it needs to be relabeled because it's not just one, it's not just the Borrelia burgdorferi. It really is an aggregate of almost like 100 different diseases because <sighs> of these co infections. Yeah. Crazy. So, what can I? Because Lyme, we'll have to do like a whole other episode on Lyme because it's one of those subjects. But what did you think you had? Well, right. So yeah, let's yeah, take yeah, us yeah, back to yeah, how this all kind of yeah. came about. So January of 2013, I woke up on a Sunday morning with a crazy case of vertigo out of, out of nowhere. And were you, I mean, I like, up to I, that, are I, you I, like a healthy person in general? So I, were I, you? Th- I thought I was super healthy and was yeah. considered healthy in the gym five days a week, eating healthy, eating a lot of chicken and vegetables and things you would consider healthy as a 29-year-old. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden I woke up on a Sunday morning and I felt really, just really out of it. And I said, uh, maybe I haven't eaten something. Maybe I need to take a shower. I got out of the shower and I couldn't put my clothes on. Because you're so dizzy. So dizzy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God, I really need to eat something. So Where were you living? Twelfth uh, and fourth. I'm actually okay. still in the same place, right in Greenwich Village. And there's a pizza place literally directly across the street from my apartment. So I said, let me just go grab a slice of pizza. And I leave my front door. And about 10 seconds later, I'm in the middle of Fourth Avenue. And there's like taxis honking at me. And I'm like, oh, like what is going on right now? And so I literally crawl into this pizza place. And I'm like, I need a pie of pizza right now. <laughs> and I thought it was like blood sugar. Yeah. I didn't know. And so I get back to my apartment and I start to consume this pizza and I just start throwing up uh, everywhere. Oh my God. And it doesn't stop. And so I call my brother and his wife and my best friends and everyone storms over and they're staying over and sleeping over and like the, the whole nine because this lasted for days and days and days. About a week in, I hadn't left my apartment. And my Did you have brother, a fever? Or are you just throwing up? Or? It wasn't a fever. It was the sensation of when you're younger and you play like Dizzy Izzy with the baseball bat and you spin around yeah. and you get up. Oh, that's, that's what it felt like. Feeling. But it never went away. Oh. I, it was the most debilitating, awful experience of my life. Yeah. The only time, I'm a pretty optimistic and positive person. It was the only time that I ever had thoughts where I was like, life is not worth living right now. Like, I, if this didn't go away, like, yeah. this is awful. Did you, I mean, at what point, I know you're going to get into it, yeah. but like, did you have a doctor that you would be like, okay, this is the person no, I trust I, most? Like, I, I need had to. A GP who, leading up to that, I had a couple strange symptoms going on. And so I would, I would talk to him and, he was a great guy, but you know, you get about 10 minutes with your general physician. Like you can't really get into the weeds. And he would always just say, you're great. You're healthy. Your blood's great. Right. Like, don't worry about it. You look, you look great. And what did you say? It was probably a virus or what was his sort yeah, of throwaway? Yeah. They, they just, they didn't have any, well, well, that was prior to this vertigo case. That was just with my GP. Okay. So after the vertigo hit about five days in, we log on to ZocDoc. We find I, we do some research. We find out vertigo is related to your vestibular system, which is your basically your inner ear, mm-hmm. um, and your vestibular system helps determine your balance. So it, it the inputs are your vision, your hearing, and the proprioceptor nerves in your neck, which tell your brain if you're turning left, right, up, down. Mm-hmm. And so you typically see an ENT, ear, nose, and throat doctor for for vestibular issues. And so we log on to ZocDoc. And my and we find an ENT a block away mm-hmm. on 12th and Broadway. And my brother literally throws me over his shoulder and carries me to this doctor. And he lays me on his lobby floor. Oh my God. And I remember I'm holding on to his lobby floor 
because his his ceiling is spinning. Uh, and so he walks out and he just says, holy cow. Like my patients can't don't normally make it to me during a vertigo attack. Yeah. This is super interesting. So he brings me in and, and long story short, he gives me pregnizone and meclizine and all these things that are good for nausea and, and pregnizone is a steroid. It's good for inflammation. And the dizziness subsides and uh, or the vertigo subsides into what's called disequilibrium, which is kind of like the feeling of being on a boat Right. But you're not on a boat. So it's it's less intense. You're not throwing up, but it's but, but you're it's still uncom- wobbly. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. And I lived with that for several years. Oh my God. Uh, this led to four years of being misdiagnosed across 30 practitioners. Wait, so at what what was your level of vertigo as like on a day-to-day basis? So on the day-to-day in the first two weeks, it was horrible. I never missed a day of work. I barely took a vacation my whole career. This was like Nine years into my And what career. were you doing at the time? I worked in the hedge fund industry. So pretty yeah. intense. Pretty <laughs> so, you know, mellow. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was pretty stressful and intense. Um, but I had literally not taken vacation, tried to be the first one in, last one out type. And I didn't go to work for two weeks. Mm-hmm. So like people knew something's wrong. Uh, and the vertigo subsided into what's called disequilibrium. So I started doing auditory tests and all sorts Started seeing all sorts of specialists, but you were basically and walking around like with no sea legs, around, but just feeling uh, feeling completely like completely off balance. Yeah, and a lot of the ENTs would say I ended up seeing multiple of them, and they would say, "Oh, your brain has experienced a traumatic experience and is now adjusting to the new environment." And um, it's going to take a long time. And you have to do vestibular therapy and sort of all these things. What's vestibular therapy? Vestibular therapy is basically, um, think of physical therapy, but it's instead it's for your sort of your vision and your auditory. And so it's for your vestibular Yeah, my dad had to do that after he had a stroke. Right, right. Because you're kind of reprogramming your brain. That's right, Mm -hmm. that's right. So what's funny is I did vestibular therapy at NYU and several other places for nearly two years. And I hadn't had a diagnosis yet. And at the end, when I was diagnosed with Lyme, one of the practitioners says, oh, it's, it, it's so funny. The people who don't get better here, it's always Lyme. Awesome. Like, Thanks oh, for the tip. Th- th- thank you That's for telling me this now. Two years later. Words of encouragement. Uh, oh, Jesus. So, the system. so in the beginning, I started seeing all these ENTs and they would all tell me the same thing. You, they would look inside my ear and they'd see inflammation and they'd say, you, you have an inner ear infection. Here's an antibiotic. i say, great. And the symptoms would go away for a week and they'd come right back. And I'd go see another one and he'd say, oh, the, the, the last ENT put you on the wrong antibiotic. Right. We need to put you on this antibiotic. This one's more general. Okay. And then I'd, we'd go through this process again and again. And he'd say, this one's more specific. They gave you the right, they, they, they were giving you the wrong antibiotic. I mean, I heard this story, you know, a, a dozen times. And then I started thinking about, this was probably 18 months, tw- 24 months in, Maybe something's wrong with my brain. So I started seeing neurologists and they all, and I got MRIs and CAT scans and ENGs and VNGs and all these scans and everything looked great. And uh, they started telling me that I had vestibular migraines. And when I heard that, I was like, awesome. Now we can figure this out. Mm -hmm. What do I need to do? I've got a diagnosis. But it turns out that really vestibular migraines and also inner ear infections are really more symptoms. Mm -hmm. They're not really root causes. So I went back to the chairman of neurology at a large hospital here in New York City. And I said, doctor, how does this make any sense? I never had a headache my whole life. I never had to take Advil. And then all of a sudden at 29 years old, I have daily vestibular migraines, which result in balance loss and dizziness and vertigo and light sensitivity and memory loss. And he says, Evan, we don't understand the root cause but you should take these SSRIs, which are antidepressants. We're not saying you're depressed, but there's a high correlation between people who take these and their dizziness subsides. And so at that point, I'm like helpless. I mean, oh, God, right. right. Of course, you're for just years, looking for some solution. You're, like, you're willing to cut your arm off yeah. to feel better. And so I start taking these. And actually, one of my best friends who you guys know, Dave Heath, uh, tells me a few weeks later, he's like, why don't you see my acupuncturist? 
you know, I, th- I think, I think, you know, he helped my knee. I ran the marathon, all this great, he did all these great things to me. I think he'll be able to help with this. So that was my first foray into sort of acupuncture and holistic medicine. Mm-hmm. And how much time and has passed now? How this was, f- this was three and a half years in. So this is probably oh, like man. 2015 or six, this is like 2016. Mm-hmm. And a uh, great guy starts seeing him. And first thing he says is throw, th- throw those pills in the garbage. Good. And this is only a few weeks in. And that was my gut reaction as well. They weren't making me feel well. And I just, I don't like taking artificial stuff. And he said, throw those pills in the garbage. They're masking your symptoms. Mm-hmm. You'll never understand the actual underlying root cause of what's driving your symptoms. You'll have side effects from those pills. You'll need to be on new pills right, for the right, side effects exactly. from the original pills. And you'll be an annuity to the pharma companies. And this is exactly what they want. So we threw the pills in the garbage. I saw him several times and five sessions in, he says to me, Evan, I can't figure you out, but I know who can. It's my mentor's mentor. He's a former brain surgeon who now practices integrative medicine. Hmm. I oh, said, I would like his name. I said, awesome. Well, I have a whole, I have a whole network. All right. Now We're going to have to exchange. Zoe's because busting yeah, out her little sure. black book. I'm building my own network. Oh, wow. Awesome. Yeah. And I don't even have a chronic. <laughs> no, yeah. she just collects doctors. No, this is the story of my life. Now. I just like to collect doctors. <laughs> Love it. Go on. Um, so 800 bucks later, I walk into this practitioner's office with a binder an inch thick, but my blood work, MRIs, CAT scans, ENGs, VNGs, everything from four years, neatly organized and he and CD-ROMs, the whole nine. And he's literally slowly flipping through. He's like, I, I've never seen anything like this. Like, this is crazy. So he spends 20 minutes looking through this binder and all my history. And he just looks up and he says, where's your Western blot? And I said, my what? And he never. said, your Western blot. I said, I don't know if this is a naive question, but what, what's a Western blot? And he said, it's a test for Lyme disease. And I said, no one's mentioned Lyme, let alone tested me for it. And I saw the frustration in his face, mm. which was very telling. And so long story short, uh, he tests me. And now for those of you that don't know, a Western blot is not testing for the bacteria itself. It's testing for your body's response to the bacteria. So it's testing for 10 different po- potential antibodies. The CDC says you need five. I had three. And so he actually says to me, you're, you're CDC negative, but I know your symptoms. I know you've been sick for four years and you have three positive antibodies. You have Lyme disease. If you want a second opinion. So a, a person who doesn't have it has zero is what you're saying? Co- correct. Okay. So correct. 10 is the most that you correct. 10 would is have. the most. Okay. And the two most common antibodies have been removed, which is also, this is like a very political situation as well. The two most common have been removed. So it's even harder um, to get diagnosed. diagnosed. Uh, And so he sends me to one of the heads of infectious disease at another big hospital in New York. And I sit with him for three hours and we talk about everything. And he said, Evan, you have Lyme disease. The CDC wrote those rules in roughly 1980 when Lyme was discovered, and they were originally written for clinical research purposes, not for diagnostic purposes. You have Lyme. You need to go on doxycycline for three months, and 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 we'll we'll reassess afterwards. Mm-hmm. So I go on doxy for three months, marginal to no improvement, and I come back to him, and he says, "Evan, you have what's called chronic Lyme." I actually, at the time, you know, I, I didn't explain this to him, but I was actually bit when I was a child in Westchester, New York, where mm-hmm. I grew up. And my housekeeper sort of brought me inside. My whole family was there. We remember pulling the tick out. I remember wow. my parents remember it, the whole thing. We just, I didn't get the bullseye and we just didn't think anything of it. Right. Well, I mean, but, that was a different time. It was a different conversation back then. Totally. And it turns out that Borrelia burgdorferi, which is the bacteria, can actually live and sort of lay dormant in your blood until you come into contact with a trigger. One of the triggers is mold. Uh And I had a mold situation in my first apartment in New York. And I remember I had my first job. I was working at a fund out in Greenwich, Connecticut. And I remember getting off the train, reverse commuting out. And I I couldn't breathe. I had red eyes. I was congested. I I didn't know what was going on. I remember calling my mom. I'm like, I I feel like I'm dying. Mm. Like, I don't know what's going on. She, she was always like a detective. And she said, I bet you there's mold in your apartment. And I, unfortunately, she, she has passed away. I wish I could talk to her. I, I don't know why she thought that. But anyway, there was. And ever since then, my health really had gone downhill. 
Uh, I got a strange skin rash called pityriasis. I, I got some other strange symptoms. And for what was a healthy, you know, quote, healthy sure. guy in his late 20s, it was just really strange. Mm. But now it all makes sense. Yeah, and it's just fascinating that you didn't. You went backwards in time and put all these pieces together. Exactly. And you start out by saying, like, your doctor says, yeah, everything looks great. You're in great shape. And then all of a sudden, exactly. you put these it's clues like together. You start pulling it Yes. Um, and it really wasn't until I saw Ali Hilfiger speak at the Global Lyme Alliance Gala two years ago. And she started describing that she was bit when she was a child. And so I don't know if you know her story. but I taught her to swim. You did? Oh, wow. Amazing. Really? <laughs> I taught at a camp in Greenwich, Connecticut. Oh, very cool. At ESF when I was like 18. And I taught all those... Uh, all, all those, those hill figures? All those hill figures. <laughs> how to swim. Nice. Anyway, go ahead. And I hope you didn't pull any ticks off of her. Or no, I hope but that you was, did. you know. She was telling this story. She spoke at the gala and she was telling this story about how her family actually thought she was kind of like insane. Her symptoms were getting worse and worse over time. And they thought they were, it was like mental, you know, she had a, a bunch of sort of mental disorders. And I think her father even like sent her away to like, almost like, you know, an insane asylum or something. And when she came back, they ended up testing her for Lyme. And she remembered, I, I remember her telling the story that she was bit when she was younger, but they just never really thought about it. And that's really what kind of triggered it. It's like, oh my God, I bite when I was younger, the mold. And this is when oh I started learning about everything and how the immune system becomes suppressed from the mold and everything. And so, yeah, that's, that's where I forgot where, I guess I was, so I was sitting with that doctor and he said, you have what's called chronic Lyme. Antibiotics don't really treat chronic Lyme well. Uh, the bacteria creates what's called biofilms around it. And also the bacteria embeds itself inside your cells and the antibiotics can't get to it. But if you have acute Lyme- Correct. Right, so, so that's why when you were a child, had you pulled that tick off your butt or wherever it was and you 100%. immediately started taking antibiotics, then you would that's have been fine. Exactly right. And a lot of my friends have been bit and they take you know, two weeks or a month of doxycycline and they're absolutely fine. Yep. And um, unfortunately, if you don't, that's, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. And by the way, only about 25% of people actually get a bullseye rash. So if you are a bit, I suggest taking, even if it's two weeks of doxycycline. Yeah, immediately. If you see of antibiotics, but, right, but in, in that, that case, case yeah, actually. Exactly. Right. Um, so, so then you just like all of those years came back to you in that minute, right? So he, he said to me, he said, um, you have what's called chronic Lyme. Western medicine doesn't really understand how to treat chronic Lyme, but a lot of people find uh, paths to healing through natural and holistic medicine. And he said, I've seen the research you've done on your vestibular system. You're going to go figure this out. And that's exactly what I do. Let me, let me back up in the story about four months and you'll understand why I'm jumping back. I took a girl out on a date from the dating app called Hinge. And we, this was before I was diagnosed. And uh, we talk about our lives and we get into health. And I mentioned that I have vertigo. We go our separate ways. Her name's Nicole. Three months later, I get a text from Nicole. Hey, Eb, sorry to bother you. I just got back from Thailand and I have vertigo. I don't know who to talk to. Can you help me? So I start helping Nicole. And it was like me four years ago. Mm. I go over to her apartment. She's dizzy, throwing up the whole nine. And so I said, you need to see this practitioner, that practitioner, get on meclizine for the nausea, do all these things. And she, she was like, you're, you're literally sent from God. I don't know what I would do without you. At the same time- Go Hinge, got, it, by the way. Yeah, totally. 100% <laughs> shout out to Hinge. Um, and at the same time, that's when I got introduced to that integrative doctor who brought up Lyme. So I went back to Nicole and I was like, hey, this sounds crazy. We have the same symptoms. It took me four years to figure this out, but maybe you should put it on your radar. She goes and gets tested and comes back with a few positive antibodies. She has Lyme. Also had a mold situation in her apartment. Oh my God. There's black toxic mold behind her radiator. And she lived in like a beautiful apartment. You would never right, know. You never know. They tore open the walls, black mold everywhere. So she's also like a detective and we end up, uh, we both did doxycycline, didn't get better. And then we both end up kind of researching the natural and holistic uh, solutions. And she actually discovered a Chinese herbalist in Midtown who's been doing this for about 30 years. He was the first doctor to actually like hold my hand and tell me, 
why I have all my symptoms, the co-infections that are driving, the light sensitivity, the night sweats, all these weird symptoms. He fully, he was the first person to actually get it. And I, I literally, I, I remember getting up and I hugged him. I, I want to hug him hearing this story. I, I want his I, name too. I, I almost, <laughs> I'm going to write this down. <laughs> I almost like gave him a kiss on the cheek because I was like, thank you so He much. was sent from- I had literally seen between 30 and 40 practitioners at that time. And, you know, top, Ivy League doctors at the top of the, these hospitals in New York. And he was the first guy to actually understand everything I was experiencing. Mm-hmm. And so he has this entire Chinese herbal protocol that's really intense. You take like 30 to 40 pills a day and it's all these potent herbs and you smell, you know, one of them's Allison, which is a derivative of garlic. And so I'm taking tons of these pills and you smell like garlic all day. And we start seeing acupuncturists and doing other things, Nicole and I, and I improved. By the way, there's no love connection here, right? Wait, just, no, no, okay. no. In fact, it wasn't a romantic connection, but we say it was the foundation of a long-lasting business partnership <laughs> because she's my business partner in Juana. Right. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. Right. So, so. so Nicole and I start seeing that doctor doing the herbal protocol, doing acupuncture, doing all this natural stuff. And I improved from about a 20 on a scale of 100 to what felt like an 85. Mm-hmm. In, in what span of time? In in two months, which, by the way, for someone who's been battling for four and a half years, right. felt like a day. Right, right. And I remember sitting at work, and I'm like, "Oh my god, I feel so good. Like I don't have a migraine right now, and I don't have. Why am I not sensitive to the bright fluorescent lights above me? And why am I not like like all these crazy symptoms that I normally have?" Like at some point in those years, you feel like you're losing your mind because there's no way that this can actually still be happening. You also feel like you're losing your mind and feel super lonely because the practitioners tell you, you look great. This is well, right. that's the they worst say, part. Right. Yeah. You look great. It's, it's fine. It's in your head. Like they're like brushing it off. I, I remember like texting and emailing so them. I was so dizzy. I was, I was so symptomatic. I was like, please just help me. I'm not fine. Right. And you're like, I'm not exaggerating. This is real. Like right. you have to totally. kind of check with yourself and say like, Am I making a big deal? Am I being like a huge, just like, am I just being a baby or, or is this real? And 100%. at some point you lose that sense of like, you, like you've lost your balance physically, you've lost your equilibrium, but you also lose that sense of like true north. <laughs> On of, top of that, one yeah. of the symptoms of both mold toxicity and Lyme is called depersonalization. So you start to actually, it's almost the feeling of like, you're looking at yourself outside of your body. And I remember going to oh, wow, and I was like watching myself Walk to yoga. I had that like, once. It's Whoa. insane. God. Wow. What is going I on? had that in the middle of a panic attack and I actually thought I was dying. Like I, I've had a few panic attacks recently, which is not awesome. But I my I made my husband Google it. I was like, I feel like I'm watching a movie of us that's, right now. And like I literally am leaving you right now. That's it. That's, it's insane. That's it. And there's, you do feel like two, you're about to die. Depersonalization and derealization. And they're yes. slightly different, but they both feel very similar. It's terrifying. Um oh my God. And I want to give you a hug. Well, there's just nothing more frustrating. It's obviously, it's a very strong sense of, you know, um, isolation, but it's also just, I mean, it's just dangerous, right? When you're being dismissed by any doctor yes. um, to, to go out and ask multiple doctors, you know, what's wrong with me? I know there's something wrong. And to have every single one of them tell you that there's nothing wrong. It's just super dangerous and no one is willing to go the extra mile with you. Um, And that happens really, really often. I mean, my mom, I don't know, 40, I guess it would be whatever, 40 years ago, she had migraines, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, just made me think of it. She had, I was getting all these migraines. She was sort of like having blurry vision in one eye and she went to her, you know, she lived in like the Poconos in Pennsylvania and she went to her doctor and he was just like, oh, you have headache. Like you just, you're getting like migraines, whatever. You're a lady. I don't know. Like this feels pretty weird. (laughs) Like it's kind of relentless. And like, why am I losing sight in one eye? Like really, you're not going to address that small detail. And (laughs) and so she had a, a, a boyfriend at the time who was smart enough to be like, he's an idiot. Right. He's dismissing you. Brought her into the city, New York and went to, you know, see obviously a much more qualified doctor, gave her a scan, like, oh, you have a huge, you know, an aneurysm that's about to burst and immediately went into brain surgery. Wow. So it's just like, you know, had she just gone home and taken Advil. Right. Well, so and again, it's like you can convince yourself 
that everybody else around you is right, even though something doesn't feel well. Especially if they're a doctor, exactly. you know, the, uh, the right. Almighty. Especially if they're an expert, right? Right. One of the things I've learned is, you know, these experts aren't always experts. No. They don't always know. You're the expert of your own answer. And some of these experts studied 20, 30 years ago and read textbooks that are dated now. And they're not fully up to speed with everything that's going on with what I consider like invisible or modern illnesses um, that are driven by environmental situations or technology. And and we're seeing this now. Yeah, functional medicine doctors are, I would say, a little bit more cutting edge on on kind of the latest treatments and diagnostic testing. And I think um, you're seeing a huge shift towards functional medicine. Well, it just uh, makes sense. I mean, it yeah. makes sense that you have to look at things holistically. And then like we were saying, it's a good thing that those antibiotics do exist because if you have the case where a child is bitten, then you can, you know, you can remedy the situation early, but we can't be so reliant on them. And it's definitely not, it's definitely not like the quick fix for everybody. It's, so it really does require that balance of Western and Eastern. Can you talk, so Lyme is just like this, you're saying it's super controversial. It's very political. It's been around a long time. There's all this sort of conspiracy theory around it. You know, how it was started, who started it. Do you know, can you talk a little bit about the hits? Because I, I, yeah. it's such a fascinating subject. Um, and I have so many, for, I, I know, I feel like I know so many people who were, who have Lyme and who were misdiagnosed for years and years and years and yeah. who as adults now are struggling with it. But Anyway, so I'm just curious about the origin. So the original scientist, I believe his name was William Bergdorferi, which is why it's called Borrelia Bergdorferi. I don't want to get too much into the like discovery. It was discovered yeah, yeah. In roughly, I think, 1977 in Lyme, Connecticut. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of controversy and uh, discussion around it being used as like a, it was a biological weapon. Uh, and we were supposed to potentially use it against other countries. And it was up in a plane and like it, it got released on our own land. And that was like the start of it. And the ticks were- Backfire. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't want to get into this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This raises- No, that was enough. Yeah, like crazy, like, you know, I just, and also like researching that doesn't actually fix anything going forward. of course. And so I just try and focus my efforts on actually improving what we have to do with. Of course. But- well, so let's pick up. So basically yes. you, you so, reached so, this place. So I ended up improving from roughly a 20 to like an 85. And I, I said to one of my best friends, I said, I think I want to post about this on social media. And I know that sounds very commonplace now, but three years ago, you didn't really have people talking about disease on, on social media. And so I posted something to like, I think it was Instagram and Facebook about beating a five-year battle with Lyme. And I, I got like a tremendous amount of outreach. I probably got 50 direct messages. Mm-hmm. I have Lyme. My dad has Lyme. My uncle has Lyme. Can you help us? And I start helping all of these people and I'm meeting up with them and we're doing calls and we're grabbing coffees and I'm meeting the parents and like all this stuff and start building this community of what became over a hundred Lyme buddies mm-hmm. that I was helping through their battles. And a lot of the females that were reaching out I would say to them, you know, I should introduce you to my closest line buddy, this girl, Nicole, because women like to talk to other women. Mm -hmm. And after the third or fourth one that I introduced to Nicole, she sort of just said like, this is so cute. You're sort of like playing matchmaker. There should be an app for this. And I just, I was, I was dead silent for about 30 seconds. I said, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to build a digital platform to connect people with various chronic and invisible conditions. And I walked out of the conference room that day at the fund I worked for. And I called one of my other best friends who's a lawyer and we structured an LLC and I funded it and I bootstrapped it for the first year, partnered with an agency out in Dumbo that's built some cool products that I've invested in before. And I went out and pitched the founder and he just, after an hour of this, he just slaps me five. And I'm like, what's up? He's like, this is it. What do you mean this is it? He's like, this is the freaking idea. I hear ideas every day. This is it. I want equity. We'll build it for cost. And I said, beautiful. And so we ideated a brand. We did market research. We built an MVP and we beta tested it. Not this past summer, the summer before. And we got 40 of our line buddies on it. And people were matching and messaging and talking about what supplements they were taking and treatments and practitioners. And two girls met on Wana and went away together. They never met before. And they both booked tickets to Miami and they spent a week together in Miami. 
And that's when <laughs> I pushed away from my desk and I said, I am quitting. <laughs> um, and so that was August of uh, 18. Uh, the fund, the, the firm I worked at was very nice. They were like, this is great. Like, we totally support you, but we need you for, for a few more months. So I stayed on. I went full-time in November. I then raised our pre-seed round in January of 19. And we've been running ever ever since really fast. We're now full And how big is the employees. community? Uh, so we just launched. So we were in beta up until two months ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, already we have a few thousand members. But what's more impressive is not the amount of members, uh, it's the engagement. Yeah. So we just crossed 9,500 messages uh, sent on the platform yesterday. And congratulations. You know, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. These messages are not, hey, how are you? No, right? it's, it's like very in depth. This is, yeah. I take glutathione for my brain fog and it makes me feel better. And I like the liposomal form from Quicksilver and it's my favorite brand. And I had some this morning. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Um, you know, it's really profound, like in depth discussions yeah. around. And, and that was one of the other things. When we created this community of Lime Buddies, we were all texting and emailing and leaving voice notes and voicemails and phone calls. None of this information, which could arguably be some of the most valuable sure. information, period, was being aggregated. Mm-hmm. Right. So what practitioners were seeing and what supplements were taking and what modalities. Or just even like on. anecdotes that somebody puts two pieces together and says, totally. oh, I didn't even think about it that way, whatever it is. Totally. So. And I said, what if you could aggregate all of this data? Um, you know, the same way Spotify aggregates your listening patterns and then can dis- then can serve you like a Discover Weekly list. And you're like, oh my God, I didn't know I liked any of these bands on mm. this list, but they know your music listening patterns better than you do. Mm-hmm. Or when you watch Heal on Netflix and they recommend you to watch Diagnosis, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have to sift through 99,000 titles. It's applying that analytics and data science to an incredible amount of information and coming up with, that's why those companies are so valuable, right? Because you can log in and you know exactly what you want to watch or listen to. Right. And so why isn't a platform doing that but for health? Right. So I should know what supplements should be helpful for me. I should know which practitioner my zip code is best for my symptoms and diagnoses. And that's the eventual kind of right. goal is, is applying science to user-generated health data. But so does this... And I, I don't, I'm not familiar with this whole landscape because I'm grateful to not have to deal with a chronic health issue like this. But is, so, I mean, I have to imagine that Facebook has some, like they have groups, they have communities, there's some vertical in within Facebook where this is already happening, right? Yep. So Facebook health groups, I would say, are probably our biggest competitor. Mm-hmm. I'm in probably 20 different health groups. I find them to be very valuable and helpful. The issue with Facebook is it's kind of being disintermediated and the younger audience isn't on it. And so our community, 75% of our community is between 20 and 35. Mm-hmm. Those people aren't on Facebook. Yeah, that's right. If you're 22, you never signed up to Facebook. You're on <clears throat> right. Snapchat, you're on Instagram. Right, your mom and your you're grandma not. are on it. Basically. Exactly. Yeah. And so the younger community, which is really our cohort, we, and we did a lot of research across all these invisible illnesses, including Lyme, fibromyalgia, endometriosis, PCOS, um, and 35 other conditions, are really, uh, it's female and it's 20 to 34. Mm-hmm. And so those people, we interviewed a lot of them. They're not on Facebook. And so Facebook health groups, although they're great, they're not catering to the audience that we are. Right. Um, I would say the average age in a Facebook health group is probably in the 50s. Mm-hmm. So very helpful. But I think Facebook generally is being disintermediated by newer platforms that are serving to more specific cohorts uh, or, or niches of people that understand each other, right? Because Facebook now is a platform that your audience is an aggregation of 15 years of like randomly friending people. Mm-hmm. And so if you post something, you know, a lot of the audience that's seeing it may be like someone you met 10 years ago that you haven't spoken to. And so what's, what's emerging are newer apps and platforms that are connecting people who are in very similar situations. And that's sort of what we're doing at Lana. And so when you talk about, it's, you know, obviously um, rooted in chronic illness and silent. Um, how, do you, how do you engage people who are just dealing with like disabilities or people who just want to support? They're not necessarily seeking like a, a cure, but maybe they, 
they, they literally just want to talk to someone who has. So that's actually the probably the main use case of WANA is okay. we are creating a safe place where people can connect with others. Maybe they don't have your exact diagnosis, but maybe they can give you a little positive indication that mm-hmm. day um, and a little support. And we're finding a lot of people are finding it helpful. I think a girl just posted last night, like, I just need a little inspiration. Can someone just tell me it's going to be okay? Mm-hmm. And she had a bunch of comments like, we're here for you. Welcome to the community and all these nice things. And by the way, we just launched, like, this is only going to get more and more powerful over time as, as our user base grows. And, you know, sometimes you just need a little support or a buddy, right? I didn't have a buddy. I went through this alone for four years. And no one understood me, and it was really lonely. Lo- you know, loneliness is like the is the is the worst feeling in the world. And um, so we're creating a safe place where people can connect, create community, create friendships um, based on health challenges. Right. Yeah. So it's not you're not like limiting it to you know if you don't we, have like do you have to do a questionnaire when you sign up? Yeah. To, okay. So there's like roughly a nine step onboarding process where. Um, we say, we're sorry, you're not feeling well. Tell us what's going on. You list out your diagnoses, your symptoms, your location, the treatments you've tried, the practitioner, your top practitioners. And so imagine having all of that data, which by the way, Facebook doesn't have because they haven't had this onboarding right. process. And so now picture the ability for us to connect people, which is really, really powerful because so we have an algorithm that looks across shared diagnoses, symptoms, and distance. And we match people with people with with others locally who are going through what they're going through. Mm -hmm. So picture the example where I had vertigo and dizziness, but I didn't know I had Lyme. And let's say I joined WANA and all of a sudden I started getting matched up with people who had Lyme. Mm -hmm. That would have been an interesting indication of, hey, maybe I should at least look into this or maybe I should question my doctor about it. So we think there's a lot of value creation from that. Yeah, it's pretty powerful. I have to say, I was never, I mean, I've never, I also... Not because I'm, you know, young, <laughs> just because I never got into it, but I don't have a Facebook account. I don't really understand, like I never truly understood the power of those groups yeah. um, until I had like, you know, however many years ago, I had a miscarriage and I was just like, oh, immediately online and like looking at all these, you know, there was, there's no reason, right? It was just sort of this random thing that happened, but it was like super devastating and you know, I went down the rabbit hole and I was trying to find a solution. And like what I found was just like endless message boards of people having like these exchanges who had the same thing happen and they had no answer. And everyone was sort of like on this mission to like figure it out. And I, it was really like shot. I was Did you really, find it comforting? I, oh, it was super comforting. Yeah. It was so comforting. I mean, and by the way, that's on a message board. That's a message which really board. Really doesn't have a profile. Or no, photos, right? totally anonymous. So I was trying to use Reddit and other similar forums. Yeah, and I always found it to be, and I know they have a huge cult-like following, and I respect everything they've done, but I never found there to be like a strong human or emotional connection right. for me because I don't know who I'm talking to. Right, and so we kind of we started. Wana as um, you would create an avatar that looked like you. Mm-hmm. And we took that away because we didn't think people would want to upload photos while talking about all their diagnoses sure. and symptoms. And we took that away and we, we forced photos and we found engagement went up. Huh. Really? Oh, that's so interesting. Because you want to actually connect with, a, with another human who's well, going through. And I think people feel safe. So yeah, right. it's a different thing than like putting your photo while you're you know, I'm sick, but I'm going to put my photo on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. Yep. It's different when you know but, you're in this but, community. But and- actually what we've realized is people are doing that now on Instagram. So three years ago, no right. one posted about health on Instagram. Right. Now half of my oh, yeah. feed is people getting IVs yeah. and talking about their leaky gut syndrome, right. <laughs> all this stuff. And, and we realized people actually just want to be vulnerable. And they don't want filtered life. I, I personally well, think they're sick of filtered some life. Some people do, but yeah. But then there's that people sort are of like becoming more comfortable, curated uncomfortable. vulnerability on Instagram yeah. that's getting increasingly <laughs> annoying. Yes, it's like, come on now. Um, yeah. So here's a, an icky question. Yeah. But uh, so how do you monetize this? Great question. That's uh, not icky. Well, you know, it's, no, it's you're doing such amazing listen, work that you don't want to think it, about how you actually have it's, to... It's a great question. There are several ways to monetize, but I will just say when it comes to UGC, user-generated content platforms, um, you think about Facebook, Reddit, Twitter, 
Nextdoor, which is a huge platform. I don't know if you guys are familiar with nope. Nextdoor. It's a new social net, not new, but a social network for neighborhoods. Okay. You put your address in, they could oh, yes, neighbors. These businesses didn't monetize for each of them for more than probably five plus years. And so the thought process is just grow the community and grow engagement. You can always flip on the switch. You can always advertise. Mm-hmm. You can always, you know, potentially charge a premium membership, which mm-hmm. I don't think we'll do. You can always sort of like package data and sell it. Again, I don't think we'll do that, but there are interesting things around that mm-hmm. where um, insurance companies, pharma companies, et cetera, would want that data. I'm not saying that's the way we're monetizing. Right. I'm just saying there's always ways to. And by the way, like that's how patients like me, which is probably our most direct competitor, that's how they monetize. And they tell their community, they're very open about, it. we package your data and we sell it, but we sell it to pharma companies and other providers that are literally going to create better solutions for you because they don't have all of this data. And so I don't think it's like a bad, like I, I, I don't think that's a bad thing to package and sell data if it's for the right use. Right, as long as people know and you're being transparent about it, then totally. I think there's a world where we can actually have providers pay our users for their data. I think we should empower our users and democratize like the ability to be paid for your data. That's like a far down the road thing, but I think that's eventually where we can get. Um, But I I would say the largest uh, form of monetization would be, oh, and also e-commerce. So we're actually going to roll out e-commerce next year. um, And that, I, th- I think that will be the f- first um, foray into uh, monetization because it also improves the experience. So if you look up under treatments, if you look up a certain supplement, let's say you look up activated charcoal, mm-hmm. um, you can read about it, which is written up by our content team and researched and all this stuff. And then we have media, media so we have top books, podcasts, and YouTube videos mm-hmm. all about activated charcoal or whatever you're looking at. Mm-hmm. You can then find people who take it, post where it's mentioned, and then we're building out purchase. And so then you'll have Quicksilver and all the different... So you'll do third-party brands. Exactly, right. affiliate marketing. So that'll be our first form of monetization. But I really think how all these UGC platforms monetize eventually, they, they advertise. Right. Right. Okay. So like, you know, think about Reddit just started advertising, I think a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. And they're, I think, eight or nine years in. And, you know, I've spoken to some people there. Advertisers are throwing themselves. Yeah because it's such an engaged community. And, mm. and so I, I think eventually down the road, we, we, can, we can do the same. Is there an age limit? We are 18 and over. Can you, can you join if you're under 18 with consent? You cannot right now. We will think about that. It's just around like health data and children and stuff. We just right now want to be a little bit more conservative. We're almost, yeah. Yeah, I'm just having a flashback to the time when I was 17 and broke out in hives and went to the emergency room. After looking at my phys ed book and convincing myself I had gonorrhea. <laughs> and then I went, to, I went to the emergency room and I was like, I called my friend more. I was like, because, oh, you know, it was like right around the time you start having sex. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, I have gonorrhea. And because uh, I had all the hives, like all on my stomach and my yeah. face and my and ears. And it out you had chicken pox? And I, I, I was like hysterically crying. Like I pointed to the picture in our like scary phys ed book and then, or sex ed book. And then I went, we went to the emergency room and the woman was like, I'm like, I have to see a doctor. And then she's just like, if you can walk and talk, it's not an emergency. Like go sit down. And then I was like, oh my God. So then we went to the pharmacy and I asked my pharmacist. And I was like all blotchy and red from crying and like my hives. I was like a mess. And he's just like, you're having an allergic reaction. <laughs> he's like, what did you take? And I was like, oh, I'm on antibiotics. Oh and he was like, so it turns out I was allergic to sulfa. Uh, <laughs> and um, I took a Benadryl and then it went away. The first time seconds. I ever got hives was from <laughs> taking Benadryl. Oh, really? That's yeah. So While weird. I had the chicken pox, I took oh, Benadryl so and I got hives under the chicken pox. It was gnarly and I've never taken it. Oh, since. that's so weird. <laughs> yeah. um, it's I like think my body just kind two of. Two negatives made a positive. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, I'm so, so anyway, glad you it didn't was, have gonorrhea. I just thought about how it would be very interesting yeah. at that age and how scary it is just in yes. general when you're under the age of 18, when you experience all these different, you know, quote unquote health crises and, and then you have no one to talk to it's about a it good because, point. You're, because you're very, you you're know, not going to tell your parents. You're afraid to talk to your parents about it, you know, and 
boys and girls at that age are dealing with some kind of icky things going on in the body. So we don't give users under 18 the ability to join, but we do give their parents the ability to join. So one of the questions is, are you a parent or a guardian of someone going through something? So maybe their parent can sign up for them for for now. For now, right. Wow, that's pretty powerful. I can't wait to go on. Is there... You're just going to be a lurker. I'm going to be a total lurker. Can I make it through the non-step onboarding process if I just... like? Is there a box you could check if you're just a hypochondriac? Yeah, totally. Hypochondriacs welcome. (laughs) Lana, hypochondriacs. You're just chronic curious is what you are. Chronic curious. That's right. (laughs) Oh, Um, I don't mean to laugh, but you really do just... To, I mean, it's like your lifeblood is learning what new disease is out there that you might one day contract. <laughs> it's fascinating. And learning how to safeguard yourself Clearly I'm in it. the wrong business. <laughs> what the hell I'm doing here? <laughs> We're hiring. I mean, uh, um, so, you, but you said, so you, you said your team is like 40 people now? Uh, so we are four full-time oh, four, okay. and about 20 consultants. Okay. Uh, so we hired a few ladies who are at Everyday Health and health.com. Uh, who have 20 to 30 years experience in this in this sector and and they kind of run our content. And then we've got, yeah, all sorts of, we've got medical experts. We've got six medical experts on board. We've got herbalists, MDs, uh, naturopaths, and all sorts of, we have a whole wide array of uh, experts. That's incredible. And I imagine you're probably going to start doing some like live activations and events and things to actually bring the community together. And, 100%. Yeah. yeah, live events locally. And then uh, there may be like a whole sort of digital telemedicine component down the road because a lot of people, a lot of our users are asking for for help online. And and so we think that there could be a, a huge uh, a huge need for that down the road. I mean, it's endless what you could do. I know, it's it really fun. is. Um, well, congratulations. Thank you. So, I mean, this thank is you. congratulations on me. finding the answer and then yes. obviously using it for such good. I appreciate that. Well we done. might be a little early for congratulations, but we're certainly trying. No, I don't think putting so. Putting our best foot forward. Yeah. Sounds like there's definitely a need for it. Yeah. And I feel like even just doing this kind of thing, like people that are listening to this podcast, you know, the, the millions of listeners that we have, there's got to be, you know, that's going to rise to the top. We're just, them we're waiting to turn on our light switch <laughs> so that we can monetize. <laughs> talk about um, labor no, But of I do feel like it's one of those things, the more you talk about it and get it out there, that's, it's the entire ethos of what you're saying. Like people are not alone. They shouldn't feel alone in this. So knowing that there's a resource out there for them is, is so helpful. Helpful. So, yeah. best of luck to you, Evan. Thank you and thank so you for being here. And really appreciate it. Thank you, Evan. See this unfold for you. Thanks for listening to HTW. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and make sure and rate us on iTunes. You can even give us five whole stars if you think we deserve it. If you have ideas for guests or topics, you can call our 1 800 number. Yes, we have a 1 800 number at 800 674 1839 or holler at us on social at HTW Podcast. You can also head to our website at htwpodcast.com for more episode info and check out our Daily Blend blog to see what we're drinking.